I usually like the downhill better than the uphill. Unless, of course, you're uh, uh, referring to the phrase where we say, you know, he's really going downhill. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that downhill. Uh, but usually when I see the downhill coming, I'm feeling pretty good. Like when you're on a, a backpacking adventure with your kids and you're hiking straight up the side of a mountain, 50 pounds of equipment and food on your back. Uh, when you get to the downhill, uh, that's really good. One of my most memorable experiences with, with the uphill um, was in the Blue Ridge Relay. About three years ago, uh, a group of us, mostly from this church, 12 guys, um, got in uh, two of our church vans uh, and uh, launched out on this uh, amazing adventure that was a 220-mile uh, road race. It was a relay uh, that went from somewhere in Virginia and, and ended in Asheville. It was crazy fun. We had our sleeping bags and all of our gear and all of our food um, and spent the night in the van. Well, each team member had to run three legs of the race and they were of varying distances and um, varying levels of difficulty. And the, my, uh, my favorite uh, part of the race that I ran was uh, when I had to wake up uh, at 11.30 at night, crawl out of my sleeping bag because uh, that part of the race for me began at midnight. So it was completely dark, had my headlamp on, little flashing lights so that I wouldn't get hit by a car. Um, I had never done that before. And so the other great thing about that memory is that the six miles that I had to run was mostly downhill. It was actually kind of all downhill. Some of it just kind of sloping, some of it the gravity took control, and it was really great. But my last leg of the race, the next day, it was completely uphill, and not just any kind of uphill. It was six and a half miles of, well, the race organizers would describe the, the intensity of each leg with words like, um, this is easy, or um, this is kind of hard, or this is hard. Well, when they tried to describe this leg of the race, the word hard wasn't accurate enough, so they just simply called it mountain goat. I got to run six and a half miles of mountain goat. But I knew it was coming, so I was able to train, and I decided to go up to Balsam and get on the Blue Ridge Parkway and just start running uh, toward Water Rock Knob because it's all straight uphill. Well, on those runs, I'd get to about mile four or mile five, and you're just really starting to, to feel it at that point. But I would turn around and just start running backwards. And I would look to, at the downhill and point and say, I'm coming, baby, I'm coming. The uphill is much harder than the downhill. But you know, that's not really the case uh, in, in our story. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. Now, both Matthew and Mark tell the same story, and they describe it as a high mountain. 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John on a high mountain. Luke says that, that this happened eight days after these sayings. And so I was curious, like, what sayings? And what I discovered was, uh, is that it was a, a conversation about Jesus' identity. And there were two questions that Jesus asked his disciples. The first one was, who do the crowds say that I am? And so their responses were, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Um, others say that you are some ancient prophet who's come back from the dead. <laughs> but then Jesus looks at his disciples and, and he says, well, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responds, you are the Messiah of God. Well, then the conversation gets hard, mountain goat hard. Jesus begins to tell them that he must undergo uh, suffering. Uh, he, he's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, that he's going to be killed. I mean, he tells them that he's going to be raised on the third day. Like, imagine them hearing that for the first time. This is the first time, at least as Luke tells the story of Jesus, that he begins talking about these things. And you know, they had to be like, that just totally contradicts everything we were just talking about before. How can the Messiah, uh, the, the Christ of God, uh, experience those things? It made no sense to them. And what Jesus tacked on was maybe even harder he says, if you want to follow me, like if you want to have any part of me, then you've got to take up your own cross and experience your own suffering. Well, Luke says, while Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, that's kind of interesting, too. That word departure uh, is actually exodus. They were speaking of his exodus, Moses and Elijah. They were talking about the same kinds of things that Jesus had been talking in the sayings before, in the conversation before. Now, you and I will find ourselves talking about um, our mountaintop experiences. Um, and, and we do, we have them. But what happened here um, is a different thing altogether. In, in all of recorded history, only a privi privileged few have ever experienced what uh, Peter, James, and John, and, and Jesus uh, ex experienced. But we do have our own stories to tell, and they can be quite extraordinary. For me, the, uh, the walk down the aisle of Hughes Auditorium uh, to, to get to the, to the chancel area um, it felt like an uphill climb. I, I was afraid. 
I was weighed down with a, a, a sin-sick soul. I, I, was, um, I, I was shaking, I was sweating, and, and it seemed like everything was moving in slow motion. But when I finally made it down there, my knees buckled under the weight, my, my elbows landed on the altar railing, and I found myself completely in the embrace of God. And I just began sobbing. Like before I could even say I'm sorry, I was totally overwhelmed uh, with, with God's forgiveness. I couldn't believe it. It was one of the most amazing things that I had, had ever felt. Like um, the weight was just lifted and I just floated out of that place. I was on the top of the mountain. Like all I knew was that God was real. Everything that my parents had told me, everything that, that my church had taught me was true. Like God really was real. Uh, it was incredible. I started getting up early in the morning to pray and it was like wow I started reading my Bible and it was like wow <laughs> like I started going to uh, uh, to church every Sunday and it was like whoa this is like better than going bowling on a Friday night it was amazing I don't remember how long it took for the shine to wear off, but it did. My prayer time started to feel rote and mechanical. And, and reading the Bible just felt boring. Like maybe it was because I was reading through the book of Chronicles, but I don't think so. There was, there was something going on. Um, God was distant. It was far too easy to, to sleep in on Sunday morning or just simply go for a long run instead of uh, going to worship. You know, there are some ancient folks who talked about this thing called the dark night of the soul. I don't know if that's what it was, but it was bad. I was in a, a bad place one day I was feeling particularly disturbed by all of this. And I just cried out to God for help. And it was really just kind of that, where are you? My aunt uh, had given me a, a, a classic devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest um, by a guy named Oswald Chambers. And I remember sitting there in this... Um, disturbed space and I, and I grabbed the devotional book off the shelf and you know uh, it's, it's dated like a lot of devotional books are so I, I turned um, to, to the place in the book where it said October the 1st and the scripture verse was Jesus leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves and then Oswald Chambers said this, We have all had times on the mount 
when we have seen things from God's standpoint and have wanted to stay there, but God will never allow us to stay there. The test of our spiritual life is the power to descend. If we have power to rise only, something is wrong. It is a great thing to be on the mount with God, but a person only gets there in order that afterwards she may get down among the devil-possessed and lift them up. We are not built for the mountains and the dawns and the aesthetic affinities. Those are for moments of inspiration, that is all. We are built for the valley, for the ordinary stuff we are in, and that is where we have to prove our mettle. I got up extra early that next Sunday morning, and I went to the Jesmond County Jail with a group of students who had started a jail ministry on Sunday mornings. And my fire was lit again. You know, I, I, don't, um, I don't blame Peter for wanting to stay up there. Like the downhill is hard. We become, I think, so enamored by our experience of God in worship and in prayer and, and in our small group that, that we just want to stay there. Our, our orientation becomes set on, on God and, and on our experience of God. And ironically enough, we can become in that incredible place a bit disoriented. We can get off course. But you know, I, I think the opposite is true too, especially around here. We can become so enamored by our experiences of ministry you know, because God shows up in those places, too, in very powerful ways that we just want to stay there. Like to, uh, to put up our, our tent, our, our orientation becomes set on others and, and the needs of others. And so we just stay in, that, in the valley all the time among the poor and the oppressed and the demon-possessed. Because we know God is there. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, I really like what he says. He says, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is seen in glory. On the hill of Golgotha, Jesus is revealed in shame. On one, his clothes are shining. On the other, they are stripped off. On one, he is flanked by Moses and Elijah. On the other, by bandits. On one, the heroes of the law and the prophets. On the other, those that represent Israel sunk in rebellion. On one, a bright cloud overshadowed the scene. On the other, darkness comes upon the land. 
On one, Peter says, wonderful. On the other, Peter is hiding and denying. On one, the voice of God declares God's wonderful son. On the other is a pagan soldier who declares this really was the son of God. And T. Wright says, the mountaintop explains the hilltop. The hilltop explains the mountaintop. When we begin to discover God's orientation, when we begin to, to find our bearings, we begin to understand the rhythm of the two and know what it means to follow Jesus. Amen.